Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Joe Rogers, who is a lawyer, business owner and entrepreneur. We discuss finding purpose and value in the work that we do by discovering who we really are and having the courage to be vulnerable rather than virtuous. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, um, we've known each other a few years, and uh, I've been fascinated by your work uh, as we're fellow lawyers and how you've been progressing that, what your sort of modern take on being a lawyer is, and and so on. So I'd love to, love you to take us back to the beginning to where your work begins and where your passion for your work comes from. Well, funnily enough, I've been on a bit of a journey with my legal career. I I chose law. This is where this is where I get honest. I chose law because I remember going through the A is it yes, ACAS, isn't it? Going through the ACAS book and crossing off all the things I didn't want to do. And I got to accountant and lawyer. That was, <laughs> that, was that was literally, I think I wanted a vocation. I wanted something that was clear. I want a degree that takes me vocationally to the next step. And I think I thought that lawyers got paid more than accountants and that's how I chose it. I mean, I didn't really have a passion and and I know many people subsequently that have said completely the opposite. I wasn't wasn't thinking um, that I was going to be the next Atticus Finch or save people on death row or, or... do anything particularly social. I think I, you know, if I'm, if I'm honest, I'm sure some of that came to my mind as I was going through my degree. I was interested in human rights and um, you know, humans and people, <laughs> but I wasn't particularly, it, it, it was like an unconscious conscious decision. I was unconsciously picking something that seemed like it had the greatest status. Yes, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I continued down that path of like, yes, lawyers are regarded higher than accountants, so I'm going to go for that. Oh, corporate lawyers are regarded like this. and this. <laughs> That was really my main focus, money and status. Yeah, That's only in hindsight. I'm sure it wasn't a conscious decision at the time. As I say, it was, it was unconscious, but, but the, con- the decision was conscious, but the, the reasons behind it were unconscious. And you would think that makes for a um, particularly, well, actually I say, you'd think it would make for a particularly dull career. And I suspect that it did because what I noticed with others around me, and and maybe this is just my persona, but I did notice that other people had more passion for what they were doing. They were able to wake up earlier in the morning and like get out, get to the gym and work out. And I was always the person like, I wish I could be that person. And now I have my own business. I mean, I'm, you know, skip 10 years ahead. I have my own business. I work for myself. I can do those things. I get up early, but, you know, went swimming this morning, feel energized, passionate, engaged. And, and so the question that I would ask myself and you saying, well, what, what, 
what is it what brought me to that and what's changed really is why am I more engaged more passionate more focused why can I spend more time on my work and and be engaged as I was telling you just before we started like I just spoke to one of my clients and she's about to close she's about to sell her company and I'm excited you know I'm engaged I feel energized by that whereas previously I didn't and and there are I guess there are a few things that that come to my mind. I mean, first is the ADHD Asperger's, which I was diagnosed with uh, probably two years ago now, but makes a lot of sense in hindsight, but didn't didn't know that at the time. So socially a bit awkward. I'm a bit of a lone wolf. Don't particularly work well with others unless there's alcohol involved, Uh, in which case I, you know, lubricates me up and I'm very, and then I'm very outgoing. Being a small cog in a large wheel, so not having a lot of autonomy. And one thing I've come to understand about myself is independence is really important. So being able to map out my own day rather than rather than the, the fear being generated by <gasps> got to be seen to be doing the fit, whatever that thing is. Yeah. And, <laughs> and age, I think wisdom comes with age as well, of course. You know, you learn a lot in a decade, but those those are the things that I noticed have changed about me and that's created I mean it's a whole different I'm a whole different person I mean we're not even talking 10 years are we are we yeah like a decade and a half into my career and the clients I'm not I'm not working with uh, I'm working with small smaller businesses people with groups of companies who like you know, thinking about financial freedom and looking at different ways to do things and they don't have all the budget to do everything. And so there's a lot of problem solving. Like all of these things that I, I've come to understand about myself that are really important and big part of big part of my career, big part of the service that I provide, but also things that I wasn't able to do previously. So yeah, really that's that's been that's my short career in (laughs) two and a half minutes but also the changes from where I was uh, to 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 who I am now and I hope the next decade and a half have additional changes to boot. It's interesting what you say though Joe so it's about you found you found your purpose which maybe didn't exist within a large firm or even a small firm but if you were not autonomous and more than that, you've come to know yourself. So that process of self-awareness has enabled you to know where you fit best, where you can serve yourself best and where you can serve others best. And one thing in knowing myself, it has been incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. And I am pretty sure that this is the human experience, but I can't speak for every human on the planet. I can only speak from my experience. But the experience of coming to know that or think that, wait a minute, I've done this or I've gone into this for, I've gone into this career as an example, perhaps for the wrong reasons or for reasons that were unconscious to me. And now I need to think about what I'm going to do with that information. And that requires a change. And to change that requires a change in who I, who I think I am. Mm. So before, 
I could say, I am a corporate lawyer. I work at a US firm. I do corporate law. And we work with US companies. All of those things, those were labels that I was like, yes, uh, that's who I wanted to be. When <laughs> and that's not who I am today. I, I went through this phase. I, I don't know if you've had a similar one, but went through this phase where I was making a decision you know that September is it October that practicing certificates come out whenever it is September October and I'm like oh do I not renew my practicing certificate this year and if I didn't I would not be a lawyer I would not be deemed to be a solicitor because strictly there's not really a thing called lawyer is it but I would not be a solicitor registered to practice oh and these labels it, it was these juicy labels that I was really holding on to of who I thought I was and being willing to let go of those. And then it was like, oh, I'm a business owner. Oh, no, I own and manage my own business. Oh, I'm the CEO. I still have that on my LinkedIn profile. Can I let go of those labels? Those labels are so, um, well, they're, they're helpful in a way. Labels are helpful. But in another way, they, um, the define and box in. And if I'm not consciously labeling myself, allowing society to label my, label what I'm doing, label my behavior, label my role, label my job, label me in a, put me in a particular category. And then I, well, first of all, I have to understand that I am not the labels that other people give to me. And yet, uh, what labels am I giving to myself? Or what labels am I uh, attached to? So all of this has been a remarkably deep and profound journey, as I suspect life is supposed to be. <laughs> it's a fascinating journey, I, you know, and I think I've been on a, a similar journey uh, from being a lawyer to what I do now. And I, and, and I wonder how many people feel permitted to, enabled to uh, go on this kind of journey. You know, we do exist so much in... Uh, a world which appreciates labels and salaries and uh, you know possessions and that isn't who we are we forget that and I wonder I wonder how many people find an opportunity to go on that journey or, or do you need a trigger do you think for me I needed a trigger pain was um Pain is my only trigger. I mean, pain is my trigger. I could, mm. uh, so the answer to your question is yes, I need a trigger. <laughs> and I'm not sure if, if I hadn't have had that pain that I would have gone on that journey. I would have had to get to, that. they say in 12-step um, fellowship programs, you have to get to rock bottom. I had to get to a rock bottom in, in certain things. 2009, I was told I was losing my job. I found out that my partner was cheating and I can't remember what the third, I remember there were three things and one was related to my weight, whether I'd like put on two stone or I'd weighed myself for the first time. Like there were three remarkably painful situations that happened all at once. I was being made redundant. It wasn't actually that painful. I got a, I got a payout. But at the time, the loss of that label of working was, was more than I could bear. I didn't have the tools to deal with it. And so pain has been my, my driver. And, and yet 
the beauty is, as you'll know, in that kind of self-searching and starting to understand who I really am, pain is a driver, but also there's there's amazing joy in then going, oh, wow, I'm, that's no longer a problem for me. Because if I were now at the age I am now and still had to work where I had to work in order to prove something to myself, I think I'd be miserable and I'd be... I'd definitely be overweight. I I could be dead actually because when I think about what that what that experience in in 2009 triggered, ultimately where I got to is I ended up in 12 step programs. I ended up um, understanding that I had cancer off the back of that addiction to, to sugar, and it opened my eyes in a way that. I'm not, I, I couldn't have had if I hadn't have had those things happen. And, and I always think, I don't know about you, but certainly when I was on the other side of this, you, you said earlier, you know, it's not all just all about money and it's not all about power and it's not all about the job and it's not all about the role. And I used to think, says somebody who doesn't have money, power, all the rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I can now say. I can say, yeah, yep. <laughs> I'm happy this side of the role. I'm happy this side without those things because I can understand that that isn't where I get my power, my identity, the money from. However, I'm aware that from the other side, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'd be saying that money wasn't the source if I didn't have the money. But And, and now I can say that as somebody who doesn't, you know, have a six-figure six figure salary. So it, it, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because nobody... I think it is only pain that makes you cross that bridge. Mm-hmm. It's only some form of pain that says, I, oh God, it's a rickety old bridge. It's got holes, it's like Indiana style bridge. <laughs> yes. So no one wants to cross. The drop, is, the drop looks like it's horrendous and <laughs> there are crocodiles in the swamp below. I was gonna say crocodiles, I bet there are crocodiles underneath. There's crocodiles and <laughs> there's probably crocodiles and sharks. And what's in my mind is I'm gonna fall down and I don't want to cross that bridge to happiness. Or it's not even happiness, because it may, thinking that thinking that everybody is happy all of the time is not it, but there's a there's a wisdom. Something is on the other side of that bridge which allows wisdom and that isn't to say that I am I, I'm definitely wiser and I think we all cross those bridges and some people's ability to deal with pain is better than others like I've got a very high pain threshold I can I can I can I can deal with a lot of pain and still not make any changes and go it's fine I just need to I need to tough it out come on I just need, and and I'm in pain, but I don't want to, you know, break a leg running around the marathon. Just stop, stop. But I'm not that sort of person. And yet, you know, that's where some of the wisdom is. (laughs) So so it's it's been a journey, Joe, and you've you've crossed the bridge uh, maybe many times, but that's a question, you know, is it just one bridge or many bridges? I I guess it's many bridges. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you, and perhaps we can reflect on 12 steps here, is about the times we're living in, because, you know, we're living in times of now crises. We've been through a pandemic, but we now got all sorts of problems related to 
environment, the economy, and so on and so on, and and war in 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 the Ukraine. Uh, and so we have to come to terms with the fact that we're going through a series of crises which have impacted us all. And therefore, and I'm quite focused now on problem solving and survival and, you know, at an individual level, at a psychological level, at a business level, how do we survive these successive crises? And so I wonder what you think what you have gone through has taught you for the times we're in and, and whether this 12-step process that you speak about can ha can help us as a society mm -hmm. to come to terms with that well let me give a bit of a background then because what i um it's it's certainly not my process and i'm still getting my head around how the 12 steps can be applied but the the 12 steps was created in the 1930s by, a, they call a group of drunks who got together and worked out a solution. It was based on Christian principles, but didn't, um, didn't incorporate necessarily any religion in it. And in looking at 12-step uh, fellowships generally, so these would be things like Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, you know, the addiction programs, they they have these 12 steps and you, you've got, so will you, let me link it to the times that we're living in. And I, I, I'll, let's go back two years because I think that's the place to start, which is Joe in pain. Like let, that's, for any story for me to cross any bridge requires Joe in pain. Joe is in pain. It is Jan, it was actually January, uh, 2020. And I had many people saying, you know, we're going to lockdown. I'm like, what this doesn't make any sense and i i have a certain um view of what we've gone through in the last two years but i couldn't quite put my finger on what the discomfort was was it there was change afoot i don't like change change creates pain for me or was it something else there was something guttural for me like something in my gut intuitively that i was like there's something not quite right here i'm not sure that i'm i can see what the whole story is. And I felt that I was being marketed to, to be honest. That was that was my my sense was I'm being marketed to by my government. What like why? Regardless of whether I was right, whether I was wrong, I was in pain. I was so much in pain that I wanted to die. And wanted to, I, I felt I felt such an outcast from society. And I felt so alone that I wanted to kill myself. Now I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that I can have those feelings and I can feel those distressing and, and I'm the sort of person that can say, right, into action, what are we going to do? And I set up a morning call, which, which still continues like the 8.30 uh, 8 a.m. It's called Power Half Hour. And, and during lockdown, I managed to pretty much in fact, for two years, that has continued. It was an 8.30 till sometimes 10 o'clock, 8.30 till it's supposed to be 8.30 till nine o'clock, power half hour. Sometimes it was an hour and a half of like talking, just being able to share and experiences that had been going on. And my worst, my worst place got to like a couple of weeks into starting this group where we would come together and we would... Uh, do meditation and do some, I'll call it spiritual work, um, 
focus on accountability so that so that a it, it leave the, the loneliness because I've, I've been lonely before and I know that people can relieve that allowed me to talk about how I was feeling and it ensured that I was kind of in a safe space I had consistency consistency is very good for me when there's change and about two weeks into this I really just had this break like breakdown I was could not stop crying really in a desperate place and nothing seemed to be able to soothe what was happening and over time it 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 came to me that understanding these 12 steps which starts with steps one two and three are I'm powerless over something which sounds disempowering like if you say I'm powerless over this situation I'm powerless over government overreach I'm powerless over whatever the thing is and I can add in alcohol food narcotics whatever the thing is I'm powerless over it it has made my life unmanageable then I trust that something bigger than me a higher power some call it God but it's really um, some of the uh, some of the people in in the 12 steps talk about a group of drunks coming together in fellowship, which is what had been created, this group of people coming together in the morning. Great, something bigger than me can restore me to sanity and I will hand this, my powerlessness over to that thing, whether it's that or it's, it's even higher than that group. And that gave me some solace. And it took a long time to get to the point of action, but this is what I wanted to share with you on, on the problem solving, because I've come to understand not my words, other people's, and, and uh, not my wisdom, definitely other people's, but that every problem has a spiritual solution. So that's a solution that isn't about Joe. Joe cannot solve this problem. There is a higher solution that will not come from just Joe making these decisions. Sometimes it's a discussion with someone else or a wider group or a bigger group. The action from a place of fear is never going to create the results that I want, not that I want, but actually are beneficial for that result to occur. And that when I focus on the problem, I create more of the problem. When I focus on the solution, it changes everything. And that, to me, these things are, and there's a whole story that I could tell you about how these rules for living or how these things have come to come to me during the, during the course of the, the last two years. But whatever problem there is, there is always a higher solution. But I, as a one individual, probably cannot resolve problems that create that kind of a weird connection and then within that there's this beauty of the paradox and the beauty of the paradox is I am powerless but when I say it when I say that I am powerless to another human being I become powerful because from that point I have the power to make a change and so these I mean this is of course, like every human being, it's it's a lifetime of learning, isn't it? And my wisdom takes me to some some darker places that many other people need to go. But for me, that's where I find these I find these solutions and these solutions that aren't just about me, you know. So when I was working back as a young lawyer, 
the solution may have been to be and work with others and understand that I wasn't alone, talk to people about my problems, to share my experience with them and ask for support. I wasn't in a position to be able to do that. Vulnerability was not in my skill set at that point. I was not willing to put my career on the line for somebody knowing that I couldn't do or I've had these feelings of insecurity and not really being sure about what I was doing. And now I'm able to do that. I think the world has changed as well somewhat. Like the environment has changed as well as I think we change, but also the world changes. Gosh, the world's <laughs> changing so fast, Joe. But um, <laughs> it's interesting what you say, because much of this relates to mediation, at least mediation in the way I practice it, which is about empowerment and recognition. So it is that sense that people come into it feeling disempowered by their problem uh, and, and not recognised in the sense that they've not been able to share that or be heard. And the other thing that I'm thinking about as you're speaking is a book that I came to many years ago when I was going through a difficult time in my life called The Survivorship Personality. And it's written by a psychologist called Al Siebert. And in there, he talks about uh, Maslow's uh, hierarchy, his triangle, and the fact that, you know, as you go up, you get to the top, which is all about um, self uh, actualization. And then uh, someone else called Ruth Benedict, who um, has said, no, you don't stop there. There's another layer beyond the top of Maslow's triangle, which is the need for things to work out well for myself and others. And, um... and others is the vital thing. One of the one of the examples I've given and made videos on is the Chilean miners. Uh, when they got stuck down the mine shaft and the way they survived was not for each of them to focus on their own individual survival but very much a spiritual experience there mm. Joe, and the sense that we know that people above the ground are praying for us whatever that means that might just mean thinking about us but we feel this sense of community and we feel this sense that we're all going you know it's not just for me it's for me and others and in every survival story I look at, that seems to be the defining factor. And what's interesting about that, I, I love these two triangles and that kind of connection between the individual and going into the group thought process, because that's been my experience too. And I, and I cannot, one thing I share with people regularly is, I cannot support others if I am not filled. If I am not in a position of strength, I cannot support other people. So, you know, the, the usual one is you've got to put your gas mask on first before helping others. It's a great, it feels very virtuous to help other people before I help myself. But in helping someone else, I may cause more damage to both them and myself. Like, uh, Someone was asking me the other day, this will, this will say a lot about my personality. We were talking about cold water. And I said, I don't like cold water. And this is at the Lido. I don't <laughs> like cold water. And they said, but if a child was drowning in the cold water, would you rescue them? And, and here is the, so this is the lawyer in me. And I said, maybe it depends. Now, I know what they were expecting me to say was, oh, of, of course, I would save the child. Of course, of course, because 
first of all, I want them to think well of me and I want them to think that I am a virtuous person and that, of course, children are more important. But the truth is, I know that to, to, would I want to see a child drown? No, absolutely not. Would I want that child to drown? No. Do I want a child to be distressed? But there's so many other questions that I would have to ask. Like, who else is there? Is there somebody who who can swim better? You know, where is the child? Are they, are they drowning in a small pool? Are they, is this in the sea or is this in the docks? Because if it's in the docks, I'm probably going to drown at the same time. And and to help, I, I, and that child may. I mean, I thought about this after the conversation, and hopefully they they um, they understood my point, but. And, and that's the legal piece, isn't it? I've got to know. I've got to know the layout of this moral dilemma that you're sharing with me, because me jumping it. But if what you're asking is, would I brace the cold water in order to save <laughs> the child? Yeah, that's well, a different question, isn't probably, it? Yes, I, it's not the cold water that would stop me. And and as I said, was well, this is just a, as an aside, the bystander effect is a psychological phenomenon. So I would love to say I would jump in, but I've actually been there where the bystander effect has kicked in for me. So someone screaming outside of my house, we're in the middle of London, happens quite often, <laughs> not wanting to look outside or even call the police in an instance because I'm not quite sure. And I'm sure that's happened several times to me where I'm not quite sure whether there's something going on or not. And so I'd rather not. And it's not, it's not that I'm making a conscious decision not to. I morally know that I would, I, and I'm aware in that moment, call the police. It doesn't matter whether this is nothing. But I have to talk myself into it. And, and because I don't want to make a fuss or whatever. There are conscious decisions that we make from, uncon sorry, unconscious decisions that we make even though consciously we want to make the decision. So, and I've you know, shared this with us, there are plenty of instances of bystander effects where we follow what other people are doing. And unless I'm making a conscious decision in that moment that I am the person that can save that child and, and that it would not cause more harm to that child than good, then I, you know, that's the balance. Um, and it's, there are loads of things we could go into in that. I'm not gonna bore you about risk aversion and and weighing up the risks and the ability to think things because they that's the difficulty with conscious decision making we have to be able to do that all in a split second it's likely if i saw a child drowning i would jump in without question but it's possible that i would go okay is this the right thing to do you know against against my desire to do it anyway well I don't know where, oh, that, where that came from but because <laughs> one of the podcasts I did a couple of weeks ago was the difference between lateral and linear thinking and I think what you're describing is you know that there's this idea that there's only one solution you jump in and save the child but there is a bigger picture there and and you can still think quickly through it um, but you're it, you're making a conscious decision rather than an unconscious decision. Yeah. The other thing I come back to is you talked about being virtuous. And I think there's a huge push on all of us at the moment to be seen to be virtuous, whatever that means. Um, you know, are we doing the right thing? Are we being the good child, mm. which most of us are born brought up to be? And that can lead to us doing things for the wrong reason, because we want to be seen to be good. 
and to get the badge or to get the, the label or whatever, rather than because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. And doing the right thing in the circumstances requires me to know myself, requires me to think more broadly, not slower, but quickly, but to know myself enough to know for me, in this situation, this is the right thing for me to do from a from a soul level, I suppose. And it's it's whilst there are conscious decisions being made, there is also an intuitive knowing about the answer to that. Yes. It requires understanding and being willing to flex the muscles of boundaries. I think I told you about a an audio that I've been listening to is called Boundary Boss and, and it makes me like the title makes me cringe but the um, uh, the concept is a good one uh, concept the concept of boundaries it's not something I learned as a child I didn't learn how to say no thank you yeah I hear my nephews and nieces saying it now mm -hmm. no thank you I, I don't want that and that's how they put a healthy boundary up we were mostly my childhood was about saying yes of course yes we'll do that yes. and there are so many dangers to that um but the vir virtuous being virtuous and being seen to be doing the right thing and 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 that vulner the vulnerability that it takes not to do the right thing and to be willing to share that I've not done the right thing or yes so there are times when I don't do the right thing there are times when I choose to do something that other people wouldn't do. And they say in 12-step um, fellowships, you're only as sick as your secrets. If I am willing to share it with someone else, then it probably was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Even And if I'm willing to make amends for, making think, for doing things wrong or for hurting or harming other people, then... From that place, I can never make the wrong decision because I can always go back, make amends, do what's right, and consciously think after the fact. And that's where that's where I think we well, I, I get the greatest power is because I always know I, I can always I can always go back. I can always do something differently. I, I can always say. I'm sorry that I did it that way, or I'm sorry I said that. I'd like, in another instance, I'd like to do it a different way. And without being, and this is a phrase again from the big book, without being servile or scraping, without being like, I'm so sorry I did that, I shouldn't have done it. No, I'm sorry, I'd like to do this differently next time. And then I make a conscious decision to do that thing next time. And for me, it's and again, and again. Thank <laughs> you. For all of us, you know, it is for all of us, isn't it? You know, life is a journey and a series of lessons. So I want to ask you next, really, you know, given the times we're in, how do each of us, what does each of us need to do, do you think, from the lessons you've learned, the lessons I've learned uh, over our journeys of a lifetime to to lead us through these times. And I get the sense that, you know, for each of us, it's an individual journey of leadership. We're, you know, we're mm. not necessarily looking for external leaders to show us the way. How do we find the way? Oh, that's a good question. And 
I think you're catching me in the middle of that bridge. <laughs> I can tell you what I can see on the other side. I can tell you what I've, what I'm looking back to, but I think I'm still working that one out. Great. What, what I, what I can share for sure is courage. And that sounds, that sounds like there's a lack of humility there because I, I, just will acknowledge myself like that there was a lot of courage required. April 2020, I had all these thoughts and feelings and I was like, don't want to be, uh, and, and I made a Facebook post that sounds, sounds like a small thing, but it was the most popular post that I had ever put up. And I had thought that I was alone mm-hmm. and that took courage. In fact, I would say of those two years, that was probably the, most courageous thing that I did, even though it was the smallest thing that I did. Mm. And I have seen so much courage in people sharing, stepping up, um, getting fines, uh, willing to put everything on the line, actually. And, and when I say everything, I actually mean nothing, but it's the perception of what we put on the line. We put on the line these labels of who we think we are and then we really find out who we actually are Mm. and I have seen I mean it's actually bringing it's bringing emotion to my to my eyes right now I can can feel I can feel the pride in so many people recognizing a wrong and taking time so courage, I think, is the first thing. It's knowing you're not alone. And ultimately, it starts with the individual. So if, as we were saying before, I cannot address what well, problem can't be solved from the same level of consciousness from which it was created is the first thing to know. Yeah. So if I am in the same level of consciousness at the beginning of the problem as I am at when I'm trying to resolve the problem, there can be no problem resolving. Not even in, well, especially not in my mind. And if I then, I can't focus too much on the problem, although understanding the problem is key. <laughs> Again, a paradox. I can't spend too much time. I, I, know, I think this came from Einstein, but the first time I heard it was from my dad. And he said, the first 55 minutes of an hour ought to be about, or, but the first the first 55 minutes ought to be about so, um, finding out what the problem is. Mm-hmm. The last five minutes ought to be about the solution. <laughs> Again, not a direct quote, but <laughs> certainly <laughs> of it. Uh, and and whilst I agree that that actually is that that probably is about right. I think those first 55 minutes, it's almost like the pain of understanding the problem is the first piece, and then it's moving into um, then it's moving into solution finding. And the solution is always a spiritual one. So courage, that, that to me, like understanding where I default to who I, who I think I need to be and being willing to step outside of that box and being willing to say, actually, this is who I am and this is what I think. When I first made that post, I thought, well, as has happened since, that I was going to be labelled as a um, right-wing conspiracy theorist 
that was racist that had I mean I, I could pick up all the labels that I was worried about and I was I remember over and over thinking in my head this person's going to think this about me and what this person thinks that about me and I had to put that aside and and um you know with that it, it, this is this is just saying this is just my experience of that courage I saw so many people doing so many more things so posting on Facebook seems like a small thing it was a small thing it was a really tiny small thing and so many things have been said and done since but it it, it broke it broke a spell for me mm. it broke the spell of caring what people thought yes and when that spell was broken there was literally nothing that could be there was literally nothing that anybody could say to me about who I was that I would believe because that's the danger it's when I when I am not in control of my labels someone else can tell me I'm something and it really hurts or I'm concerned that people are going to say some things and that that stopped happening and I saw many people go through that journey this, these last two years. Many, many very credible, professional individuals who were speaking, speaking their truth about a situation, raising concerns, raising alarms about various issues. And they were, um, and they were labeled or they were shut down and they were silenced. Yeah. And so you're, you're actually... See, I'm, I'm actually doing exactly what I'm sharing on the problem. But the pro from the problem came, comes the solution, which is, well, when you are being shut down and silenced, the only solution is to speak up. Yes. When you are being told that you are lying or that you are spreading misinformation, the only countenance to that is to speak your truth and to speak it as loudly as possible and to continue speaking that the other thing and and it takes courage to stand up to authority I, I noticed this in some people very close to me that they said there was there was this kind of cowardice this feeling of oh I don't I mean I'm happy to speak out in front of friends but I'm not willing to be brought down by an institution or an organization or and then suddenly they're put on this pathway you know the rickety bridge towards they don't really know what's going to happen um you know I had a complaint made against me and suddenly I was like oh god no this <laughs> this year over these last two years have been a, a, a melting pot of different scenarios that I never thought that I would have to deal with on the personal professional and the societal fronts and coming out of it being around people taking action. I know that I'm stronger with other people. These are things I've learned in this. And I think this, these are things that I've learned from the last bridge that I'm bringing onto this new bridge. I, I don't walk alone. I shine, I shine as bright as I can. I do what I can. I fit my own gas mask first. I know that every solution has a spiritual dimension and that is the dimension on which there is some power. You know, I am powerless over other people, places, things, institutions, government overreach, you know, all, all of, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over the future. But in that, from that place of acknowledgement and conscious acknowledgement of me being powerless, power comes from that.
and I can take the right action. Another uh, final thing I'll say, I'm not, I'm no longer afraid of death. And, and again, I think that comes under the courage piece. And this happened for me when, when I dealt with um, health issues, but death is ultimately underneath every single fear. Like the ultimately, yeah. If you go, why am I fearful of that? Oh, I'm fearful of that because, you know, I, I'm fearful of um, getting into trouble with the police. Why? Oh, because if I get into trouble with the police, then I'll lose my license to practice. Oh, and then I'm going to lose. Okay, and then what's going to happen? And if I lose my license to practice, then I'm going to be destitute. I won't find a job. Firstly, is that true? Question. You know, that's always the question, isn't it? But if it were true, then what would happen? everything goes down to it's about survival and my diet comes down to survival and if we we don't have our survival in place that maslow's hierarchy of needs which is what you're speaking about you know if we if we have if we don't feel secure in survival we don't even have the bandwidth to think about other people if we are worried about losing our jobs we can't be thinking about everybody else who may be losing their jobs if we are thinking about financial insecurity you can't be protesting about people not being able to eat and heat their homes like we can't do that because we're in scarcity mode and that's that's the maslow's hierarchy of needs isn't it It takes you to that point at which you can then say right got some grounding here for myself may not be at spiritual enlightenment but i'm certainly crossing the bridge to support others um in that place so I would say, put your own gas mask, make sure that you're secure, but be courageous and do what you can as as many times as you can. The change comes within us. Ultimately, if we are to see a brighter future, if we are to see humanity on this scale that we've never seen it come together to be the best version of humanity that we can ever be, it starts with each individual deciding they're going to be the best person they can be and then tempting to be the best family member or husband or wife that they can be in. And then, and then that coming out to communities and working. It, it's a process. Progress, not perfection. <laughs> Brilliant, Joe. I was going to ask you to summarise, but you've done it already. And um, it, what I take from what you've just said is this courage to be to be who you are, to be vulnerable. And I think your words relate to so many people in the workplace, in families, in relationships, in society as it is at the moment, in war zones. Uh, There are so many people who feel disempowered and unable to speak up. Um, And I just think your words speak to all of those people joe so thank you thank you so much and you jane for being that voice and for managing those conflicts with such grace (laughs) because these are all conflicts aren't they everything we're talking about is like between us and it's it's really a pleasure to know you and your and your work and your books your book list Thank you, Joe. I mean, in my work, I always say all conflict comes from within. And that's what we've been talking about today is that, you know, you have to go within. I, I know a lot of people find that hard, but it is about knowing yourself, understanding yourself, 
and then being able to help others do the same. I think it's a simple message in the end. Mm. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And if people want to find you, Joe, where uh, you're on LinkedIn, I know. Are there other, other definitely places? Definitely on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'll definitely be liking this video when it comes out. So you can probably find me uh, uh, underneath this video. And uh, navastarlegal.com. I mean, that's my, my legal piece. Um, yeah, mostly you are welcome to get in touch through LinkedIn. That's always a great place to find me. Brilliant, Joe. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes.